Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she and her. On today, we have not one, but we've got two guests. Yes, we are speaking with a couple. We are speaking with educators. We're speaking with conversation starters. And I'm going to give you a heads up at the top of the episode. I ask them a question that I feel like is so cringeworthy. They handled it with so much grace. On this episode, they share amazing insight. Um, As soon as they start talking, you're going to be wondering, wait, where can I go to find that link? I'll give you a heads up. All of the links discussed on this episode are over there in the show notes. So you can relax and enjoy this conversation. Hey, I'm I'm Sadie. I'm I'm a head of sixth form at a British international school in Chiang Mai in the north of Thailand. Um, And outside of work, I edit a magazine called The Wellbeing and International Schools magazine. Um, Uh, I'm Laura. I am Sadie's wife and we work at the same school in Chiang Mai in Thailand. Um, I'm the athletics director um, and a PE teacher at school. Um, I'm also involved with an organisation called Phys Equity, which is pushing for a more kind of inclusive and equitable physical education and school sports space. Um, So check them out on Twitter if you get a chance. Yeah, and I'll make sure, of course, that we include the link to that over in the show notes. Laura, your your work with Phys Equity and uh, Sadie, your work with the YZ magazine, like to what extent do they actually influence each other? Because I'm wondering there might be moments of overlap or intersections in topics or even just, you know, of course, whenever we're producing something that goes out into the world, there's a vulnerability there. Um, you know, there's a workflow, there's an organizational element to it. Uh, and of course, just a willingness to take feedback from the audience. So I'm really curious, actually, you know, to what extent do those two different uh, projects kind of have any influence over one another? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I'll take that one. I think um, it's it's been for sure something that um, has kind of intertwined with each other. Um, I started working doing the phys equity work um, through connecting with people on social media. Um, and it was it's a UK-based organization, but they were super keen to kind of spread what they were doing internationally and see how that would fit into the international schools context and with some of the wider conversations that are happening. Um, I wrote Sadian, like we have a phys equity podcast, so I wrote Sadian to, to work on that. Um, and I think probably both ways we've made some really nice connections because people often will come across Sadie first or me first, but then they'll probably end up at some point meeting the both of us. Um, so it's been a really nice way to connect professionally, but also socially um, and to, yeah, quite often end up collaborating on, on different things. Yeah, I think um, it's a really interesting question. Um, I I think I felt quite heavily, like positively influenced by his equity and the work that Laura's done. I think... Um, you know, my, my background was in sports and, you know, I didn't go to the, the, the teacher route, but um, the conversations that um, Laura was having and having with her colleagues at Fifth Equity, um, that like they were just so cool, so powerful. And because it had that hook of the, the sport and the PE element, I think it kind of, uh, I was just kind of like listening in, listening in, like see what, what kind of conversations they were having. And Actually, it has that kind of hugely uh, influenced the part of the magazine that I really want to make sure there's a space in every issue um, that links these intersections of identity, of work around diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, I used to feel that that was kind of a 
quite a, a missing piece from a lot of uh, well-being work or, or has been I think it's really starting to change now um, but definitely that was really influential on making sure that was an important piece of, of every issue. I'm guessing too, like you're both currently in planning mode or, you know, looking ahead mode of what's coming out from, you know, both of those publications or both of those channels. Can you talk to us a little bit about just your thoughts? You know, th- this year, of course, nobody needs the reminder that it's a really, really hard year for educators. And for anybody who produces content, you know, I, I hear a lot around this idea of, what's the conversation that we need to have and how can we have that conversation in sort of a sustainable way, given that we are still in the middle of a pandemic, um, things are hard, folks are tired. Uh, I'm kind of wondering, you know, what's, what's down the road or in coming months that you're thinking, I want to make sure that we're starting a conversation about this. Um, and I'm guessing again, it's sort of, this is a thing that I'm choosing because I might not be choosing some other things because of course we can never start all of the conversations um, that we would like to. So just even that idea of, you know, what are you focusing in on this year? Uh, I'm just really curious to hear about that. And in terms of setting those priorities, what's guided you in figuring out? Yeah. I, I think this would be a really important priority to have moving forward. Um. I think it's interesting, like the, the magazine, I would say, is a reflection of my personality, which is, uh, <laughs> it can be a little bit chaotic in terms of having lots of different interests. Um, and I, this is something I've actually thought about, like whether we have kind of clear themes that we make sure we pay attention to. Um, I guess for me, I felt that the most change I've had personally in my um growth and my understanding around different kind of important areas within education have been from lots of small seeds that have been planted that I've kind of reflected on that have sat with me for a while that maybe I've, I've listened to left come back to and then started to make connections so I think um with the magazine I feel like it's it's quite um it's quite organic in that sense I kind of see what's what's out there what kind of catches my eye what we get come in um and I think what I what I hope will happen is like lots of seeds being planted and lots of their connections being made over time. Um, in saying that, I think a couple of areas that I really want to explore more um, is having student contributions in the magazine. Um, initially, I, I, I did have, um, but they were students that I knew. Um, so I really want to make sure that's opened up to uh, students, not, not just in my, in my school. Um, and, it, and I guess another piece of that is having students involved in the artwork of the magazine. I, I really feel like we're having conversations about students, but we're not inviting them in. So um, that's that's a really important piece for me. Um, something, I, I mean, this is a, a bit of a niche area, but something I, I think is quite an interesting area is actually, um, I was talking to someone yesterday about esports and how that fits within wellbeing. So like just changing the conversations around things that actually might be helpful, might provide a space of belonging for students that we kind of like uh, we can be a little bit resistant to as educators so I think um, I guess the the student piece is the key piece for me and then just seeing kind of like what comes out and like what we can kind of plant seeds of within the magazine. Yeah I think um, you know in terms of actually the things we're doing with phys equity the things you do in the magazine something we've always aimed to do is just allow space for lots of different people to come into because I think quite quickly you realize like 
a lot of organizations, social media, um, after a while, it's the same people's voices that kind of get pushed to the top. Um, and don't get me wrong, like there's some amazing people um, doing some amazing work and, and it's right that we hear their voices, but there's also amazing teachers in loads of schools doing things quietly that we don't always get a chance to, to hear about. So I think with your magazine, with the Physicality podcast, um, part of that has just been just trying to, to open it up so that we can hear from lots of other people. And, it, and it's been really great to to do that and to, to get their perspectives and just to kind of know a bit more about what's happening in lots of different schools, um, as opposed to just these big kind of schools that we often hear a lot from. Um, and I think what's what's been quite interesting is what's been a, a real light bulb moment for me is, you know, the pieces that you like I really resonate with, you know, when I put it out there, the, the feedback I get might be articles that, you know, I didn't maybe uh, see as, as clearly. And I think that process of like, you know, just because it's, you know, uh, resonates with me doesn't mean that that's the article that resonates with other people. So I think like learning that has been um helpful and I think sometimes the articles uh the, the, the deliberate kind of push to have a wide range of articles is um almost like a social experiment in my mind to see like actually like the things that I think are important about well-being um like I need to change my mind I need to open up like myself to different ideas you know I I would be resistant you know for example to maybe meditation so I need to know like I need to learn about actually where it does have an impact and how it has an impact and who it resonates with so um yeah I guess like it's important for me that in the magazine the articles that come in uh, are ones that resonate with me and ones that you know maybe don't yeah I mean I think that's that's the important thing as well like you were saying Trisha about people are kind of at capacity you know it's been such a crazy couple of years um you know people are stretched more than ever and not every single piece of content whether it's a podcast a magazine a webinar like people can't engage with everything as much as we'd like to there's so much great stuff out there um so it's just trying to put stuff out that um you know hopefully even just like a handful of people will will connect with and they'll mention oh that article like you know really resonated with me that oh I really liked that podcast with that person um you know you're not necessarily going to capture everyone with everything but putting out you know lots of things that people can kind of dip into when they have the capacity to do so I think is is really important and I love, you know, what you're both talking about, too, is that idea of, you know, planting different seeds or almost like diversifying the crops. When you're trying to do that, I find, you know, as somebody that creates content, you also need to make sure that you're consuming like lots of different types of media. Right. And, you know, Laura, you were saying, you know, it, it's not helpful when it's just always the same voice that we're hearing from, um, and, you know, of course, we have tremendous agency in terms of what it is that we're tuning into. Uh, and Laura, we had an exchange recently on Twitter about Burn It Down Pod, which right. is kind of like a recent this year. I, I've really, really enjoyed that. And it's just opened up my mind to, you know, issues of in, in the sports world that I, you know, I honestly like I just hadn't even thought about those issues in that way. So I really like that podcast. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. for both of you in the past year or the past few months, What's something that has sort of been like a new add to your media diet that you think, you know, this is also going to influence some of the content content that you hope to create? You're the, you're the actually, 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 <laughs> um, do you know what? Like this is a it's a podcast, a non-educational, I would say like a podcast that actually Laura introduced me to, which was um, the maintenance podcast. 
and like they kind of um maintenance phase, oh sorry maintenance phase oh, there you go got it wrong already um but it, it talks about it kind of dispels myths around um diet culture wellness um so they kind of you know speak through different things in terms of like keto diet and, and a, a range of different things um but what i find really helpful is the conversation they have around wellness about um bodies um and i guess just the conversations that we have that we don't even realize around that and how, how influential that that is so i think when i hear that i think my um capacity to see stuff differently i think because diet and wellness and that kind of culture links so closely to PE in some senses um that's really kind of shaping my thinking and i think that also translates into kind of the sensitivity that i hope that the magazine will grow to a range of different issues i can't really put my finger on it but like it's so so good and what i what i really like about it as well is is the format where they basically take a myth and they explain it in kind of like they do loads of research on um on i don't know a particular personal um research articles and then they frame it in a way that's really accessible for people um and that's what i think oh that's what we need to do more we don't need to shut the door to people in different like areas of, of knowledge and expertise we need to bring people in by making it digestible and then having conversations around it so um yeah that that for me has been um something that has really helped me with the magazine even though they don't necessarily have a direct relation yeah it's interesting i wrote um an article a few months ago i think it was in the in the summer um for physicity and it was talking about PE teachers and eating and exercise um and it was really just my way of kind of venting about you know feeling a bit rubbish after the pandemic and feeling like i wasn't you know prioritizing my health and the pressure i felt equally being you know, in a PE space where there's expectations about, you know, teachers and what they should do with their lives and how they should look. Um, and the response I got to that just from being like, oh, hey, this is sometimes, you know, really overwhelming um, was was huge. Like loads and loads of people started talking about feeling the same and, you know, also feeling that pressure. And it, it opened up a big discussion. And I think maintenance phase is, is a similar um, not that I'm equating my article with a very successful podcast, but the idea behind it is that it, it challenges, right, people's ideas or preconceptions about how people should look, you know, how they should eat, how they should, you know, what constitutes a healthy lifestyle. Um, and like Sadie said, it's all backed with research um, that often, I think, gets kind of lost in the kind of celebrity diet, social media culture. Um, so yeah. that's been that's been something that we both both enjoy listening to yeah i guess in some ways i feel like that translates to education in terms of like the big uh, themes the big pushes the big trends um just reflecting on actually where they come from are they based in evidence or has there been another way that they gain influence mm -hmm. and i think like just having that critical eye um that i see in that podcast it makes me think about other things differently like you can question like just because something's popular doesn't mean it's good um and i think uh yeah, what, what's just quite nice is is that they talk about like I guess the it's like the well-being on one side and wellness and kind of where they're interrelated and where they're different. Um, but just actually, just actually how damaging wellness culture can be because it can be extremely preachy and it and it can almost be like a, a metric or measure of success. Like you know, you have to be the most well to be good. And um, they just, you know, completely like uh, dispel the whole thing. So I think that's that's really um, 
yeah, been influential for, for me. And I want to make sure that I, I, I get the link to that podcast. It sounds fascinating and throw it in the show notes. Is it called Maintenance Phase? Am I hearing that right? Yeah. Or That's right, yeah. Okay. Listen to Laura. <laughs> Don't listen to the lady. She's making stuff up. That sounds fantastic. Um, you know, the other thing that I'm wondering about is, so you you are married, um, and I don't know how long you've been married, um, but I am also married to an educator, and we had worked together through four different schools, and I will say it really wasn't until our, our last school when we were at UWC in Singapore, which is a great school, but it's also almost like notoriously a really busy school. And it was the first time that we almost intentionally made the decision to not talk about work and to really try to make sure like that was not, you know, like our dinner conversation. I'm not saying we succeeded at doing that all the time, but I felt like in a way it really helped in terms of that wellness piece. Um, you know, I, I think when you are in a school your, your boundary between your professional and your personal life, like it, it's really difficult. And then I think when you're an educator married to another educator, it's a whole other level of complexity. I'm just interested, you know, you're both so passionate about wellness and how does that factor in to the reality that you're both interested in it? You, you know, you're, you're in the same home, you work at the same school. How do you navigate that? This is where we get found out. It's all, <laughs> it's all for show. We're terrible at it. It's going to work not very well. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it is, like you say, it's it's kind of navigating. It has not always been easy. Um, we both really are passionate about our jobs and also passionate about a lot of the projects we have outside. Um, and it's a conversation that is a recurring one, you know, about trying to make time and space to separate from that and to have, you know, quality time together. I'm pretty sure I told you at about 10 p.m. last night to stop talking to me about something to do with work. <laughs> I just have no idea how to talk about it. Like, really? 10 p.m. on a Friday? Um, so, yeah, it's for sure. It's, you know, navigating is difficult because we both enjoy it as well. So we're both, like, bad for blurring those boundaries because we get excited about an idea we want to talk about it and we, you know, forget to have that, that break from it. Um, but it is something we're conscious of and I think trying to be, you know, more proactive about having that separation and having that time. Um, I mean, the conversation I've had, like I, I um, Laura, I, I say naturally speaks, uh, well, is able to find a better balance with me, I think. Um, uh, but I, I guess with the, the pandemic, you know, it, it's, it's, been, it's been an absolute nightmare. Um, but... A conversation I was having with someone the other day is, okay, like if you weren't doing work, like how do you want to spend your time? Um, and I was like, well, I don't want to go on social media and I don't want to do this and I don't want to that. And they're like, no, but what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was like uh, really eye-opening for me because I was like, wow, do you know what? Like it's been so long where I've blurred that boundary of work in the evening. Like I don't know what I would do instead. And I don't know like what I would be drawn to do instead. Like I want to do like, you know, I don't really want to go to the gym, to be honest. So like, it's not a good uh, swap. Um, so uh, like, I think it's almost reestablishing like, what do you want to do in your free time? Like using it really intentionally because when you don't, it's so easy to make that work time bleed into the evening, particularly if it's something you enjoy, but um I always say I find it quite interesting. I'm, I'm not equating myself to like uh, a, a singer, but you know, I always find it interesting. Like if, 
there's artists that put albums out they're like work 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 but then they have to make a they have to have like a fire break they have to have a break in order to then go back and make good content um and I think like being mindful of that like just letting it go on and on and on like it's going to drop in quality so like you know tricking my mind to be like you know what you need to need to stop because if you want to try and um, improve and grow make things better but you can't do it by doing it continuously without any breaks um so yeah I guess those those two pieces really but but it really thinking about um how you want to spend your time I think uh, yeah going back to that question is really important it's a work in progress yeah we're not there yet it sounds good but um I, I think it is starting to make a shift yeah oh I hear you and you know I, I think that social media piece is tricky too because you know yet again I feel like Twitter is both a tool for amusement entertainment, but also has, of course, profound educational, you know, professional development value. So even that, um, you know, I, I turned off that little feature on my phone that tells me like how much time you've spent on certain <laughs> things. So it's just like, I'm not, I don't want to know, actually. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm also kind of just interested, the, the piece about wellness, uh, I think... I'm going to assume, I, you know, I, I feel like as a queer person myself, I think we have a unique perspective on wellness. And I, again, I think it's so interesting that you're both looking at that topic and I'm wondering how you might think, or, or again, feel free to say like, no, Trisha, actually, I don't see this. To what extent do you feel like your queer filter almost takes you to a different place in understanding or thinking about, or even valuing wellness um, than someone from outside of the queer community? Um, it's, a, it's a really, uh, a really good question. And I, I think, I, I guess for me, it's almost like I created a sensitivity to, um, I guess really I'm having to understand who I am because um, I have to, I, you know, you have to be really comfortable with that in order to, um, I don't, I don't think this is the right word, but to, to be out in the world, you know, like there's a deliberate um, like act when you come out, you know, whether it's a, at work or whatever, whatever it's like, maybe when you, you first kind of have that process of coming out. So I think like you really, really have to know yourself and you really have to back yourself um, in order to stay true and stay confident to who you are, because you might get um, things your way that will try and challenge that a little bit. So I guess I guess that that piece is quite important, and I think for me that influences um, my approach working in schools. I think you know it. I don't know. Well being isn't something like you do. It's something you learn. Like it's about learning who you are, really. Like that. If you don't have that piece, you can do everything in the world right, and it still won't make a difference. You know, I, I could I could have a six pack. I could you know do all of these things, and but. But if I don't really, if I'm not really comfortable with who I am, then I think it doesn't really matter. So I think, yeah, in, in that sense, like reflecting on it, um, I think that's been so important. But like that has taken a long time, you know, like I think I'm still even going through that now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's something I've I felt that I reflected on more, particularly in the current climate with the conversations that are happening, the push for DEIJ and all these things that are happening from in schools and in education more generally, which are fantastic and needed. Um, but, you know, as with all things, you know, it's often, you know, the queer educators that are asked to push forward for the LGBTQ inclusion groups or GSAs. 
Um, and again, fantastic, you know, really, really want to advocate for that for students. What I will say is that as a queer educator, when you receive the pushback that you inevitably receive from some people, whether it's administrators or parents or, you know, the wider school community, um, it's very difficult to separate that from your own identity. So it's, it's hard not to take those pushbacks or dismissals or, you know, outright prejudice when it happens, unfortunately, it's hard not to take that personally and to, and to let that, um, you know, impact on your well-being. I can definitely think of situations where I feel that it, it has. And, you know, we've talked about it and I've spoken about it in kind of our closer circles. But what has been sometimes frustrating is that people who are not in the queer community do not understand why I've taken that personally or why I feel, you know, a particular way about something. Um, so, yeah, I think that part, it's certainly, you know, it's, it's intertwined and definitely I felt, um, yeah, the more I kind of stick my head out and, and perhaps challenge the way things are done. Um, yes, it's important and needed for change, but I definitely have felt more of that. Um, I suppose some some of the negative uh, consequences of that as well. Do you know what I, I think what's interesting is, um, I guess with, you know, the conversations around um, diversity, equity and inclusion have long been there. I think they're taking, um, not not a new shape, but there's a, there's a momentum that, that's gathering, um, which is super, super exciting. I don't know, what I think is quite interesting for me is like, that's, um, also like encouraged me to see things through a slightly different lens and, and almost like in, in a way that that's caused like pain initially and it's almost like a, a pain and a rebuild right I feel like I'm, I'm rebuilding strength from that so like actually it's been um, transformational on a personal level but it's been preceded by a, a, a period of uncomfortableness you know so um, yeah I, I don't know like I, I just kind of think that's that's quite uh a journey that I've been going through really. And, you know, it's interesting because that like recursive nature of the journey, you know, Laura, those conversations that we have to have again and again, you know, some of those questions or those myths that it's sort of like, of course I am slightly irritated because it's just like <laughs> the 57th time I've had this conversation this year, those kind of things. Um, are, are really, really trying and very difficult. Um, and I, I find it's interesting in the work that I do with schools, uh, usually before there's a series of sessions, we'll have some sort of meeting with school leaders. And you know, I've learned to be much more transparent in terms of, let's go through these terms. Here's just kind of a few of the headlines that I will be addressing. Let's talk about now whether or not that ruffles your feathers because it's really interesting to me, you know, there's even school leaders who have said that word queer. I don't know if that's going to be the right word for our community. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's an opportunity to have a, a, an extended conversation with that school leader, but there's a real spectrum of school leaders who are saying, let's have these conversations and let's be okay with the fact that it might be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for a reason. Um, and the school leaders who I think are just doing it for the superficial ticking of the box. Um, and, and, and that's, that's really difficult because I, I don't know about you both, but I feel like the school leaders who are going to be there and are really in it to support 
the movement who will defend members of the LGBTQ plus community who might be on their faculty or within their student community, those people who will say, you know, if there's a parent or caretaker who's like, nope, I want my child to opt out of this. It is really few and far between those school leaders who, you know, will kind of say, you know, this is a part of our mission. I mean it. I am here to defend this person. And there's kind of a a line in the sand. Um, I, I really feel like I can count maybe on one hand the school leaders who I know, like 110%, they really, really mean it and are behind it. And I think that's a piece of it too, that is maybe frustrating. I, I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but just even that kind of where's the leaders or the foundation of, of leadership that we know we can count on and we know we can rely on. Mm. Yeah, I think um, that's a, a such a good point. And particularly in the international school arena where we have parents who are fee paying and it's a marketplace as well as an educational institution um, and that also you know blurs lines Um, and you do you get leaders who um, someone said something to me the other day that was like you know there's there's two sides to this we need to hear out both Um, and I recently read something on Twitter um, which was talking about DEIJ um, and it was saying about you know if we comply, for example, with a racist request, we're still being racist. And I think the same applies when we're talking about the LGBTQ plus community. You know, if we apply um, comply with a request that is homophobic or transphobic, it's still homophobia and it's still transphobia. So there is a space to hear concerns, um, you know, from parents and stakeholders, but there is also a space to stand up for what you believe in and what you think is right by your students. And I think that that ties back again to what is your school's mission statement? What is your philosophy? What do you actually believe to be the most important thing, you know, for your students? Are we putting students at the center of our approach in this regard? Um, And I think that's been, again, some advice I think I got from Emily Meadows about, you know, if you can bring people back to those core values, because every school has them, if they're disregarding them in one particular area, you know, you you have, I think, license to challenge that. Um, but yeah, it is super frustrating, like you say, to have these conversations over and over and to have people genuinely confused about why you get frustrated about it, you know. Um, so yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, something I've, I've been thinking about recently quite a lot is, is you know, like, uh, like our, our human selves and our work selves you know like I think I used to think like they're two different things right you know I go home and I'm like this this way and then when I'm at work I'm like you know like this and um I was like where where have I got that from like that's ridiculous you know and um I think more and more I try and reflect on like what my own personal values are and if I'm living by them. And I think that has to extend to work. Like I don't stop being who I am at work. And I think, um, you know, staying uh, staying to that more strongly actually means I have uh, more conflict at times because I choose to like make sure I stand by my kind of convictions with it. And I guess like, I, I don't know what it's like to be the leader of a school and I understand there's a loads, a loads of pressures, but I guess what I think is like, I get in more conflict, but I'm happier, you know, because I can come away feeling like I, I, I am who I am and I, I'm, I'm stuck with that. Um, and I guess I, my, my, my encouragement would just be like, for leaders on a, on a human level, like stick to that, you know, 
Um, otherwise, you're always going to get pushed around and you're never really going to stay true to who you are. And that should uh, extend it in any workplace. And, and that's that's scary. That's really, really scary. Um, but I, I do think, you know, the, the kind of parent piece of like the parents went like this and parents went like that um, is a get out clause, if I'm honest, because maybe a couple might not. Mm. Um, but are you going to shape your whole school around what a couple don't like and and that's where you have a chance to make a stand and that's where you have a chance to like really be role models to the students that you have like your your duty was with them and you stay strong in it and either they come towards that or if they don't then then that's not who you should have shaping your school you know and I, and I know that's kind of like idealistic but I, I think like I, yeah I, I do feel strongly um about that we really have a duty to um to, to shape how we want the world to be for the students. And that's not by um, views that, that are damaging. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like we're also getting to a point where if you don't have that backbone as a school leader, get out of the way, because I think there are other people <laughs> who are ready to lead, you know, quite frankly, um, it is the other piece. Uh, so, you know, I'm so, so thankful for, for both of you giving up the time and kind of as a, a final word, uh, I'm just wondering, I, again, I, I always find it's interesting. I think maybe even because I am married to a fellow educator, I just think there's an influence piece there. And I'm wondering as content creators, conversation starters, if you had to pick out, sorry, this is so cheesy. So brace yourselves <laughs> for it. I'm ready. Okay. Uh, if you had to kind of pick out one thing that you feel like you have learned from your partner in terms of conversation starting, because it is an art, right? Um, and, and I love that you pointed out earlier that awareness that some of the things that we think we're putting out there that we're like so excited about sometimes, mm, no, nobody else is excited about that. That's part of the process, right? Um, but um, that that piece about, okay, well, you know, keep, keep going. Um, it is important to learn, but I'm wondering if you could kind of put your finger on one thing that you feel like you recognize that the other one does as a conversation starter slash content creator that you're thinking that is something that I would like to bring into my process or my work as well. I mean, I, I always say to Sadie, like Sadie's strengths are ideas. Like she is the ideas queen. Um, you are constantly, I feel like your brain is constantly thinking about, you know, who can I talk to? What can we talk about? You know, what topics do I need to discuss? What have we not had in the magazine yet? What do we need to get? Who, how can I seek these people out? Um, and then when she does seek those people out, you know, really taking a genuine interest. And I don't mean to say it's patronizing me, but again, there's so much content um, and platforms out there. And I think making sure that you know if you're connecting people you're asking them for their time you're asking for their perspectives and, and sometimes some work from them as well that it's done with the best of intentions and because you really know what they have to offer and you really believe in what they have to offer um, and you you're passionate about giving them a platform to to share that um, as opposed to oh like we just need another blog article for this month because we don't have one which does happen right we, I like we've experienced I think some sometimes working with you know particular groups or organizations where you do feel almost like a filler you know it's like oh we need we need more stuff so can we use x y or z so you know making sure that the content you know is is real it's genuine is something that you you believe in um and that you think will, will inspire other people and i think sadie's very good at 
you know, making sure that she does that, you know, with every contributor for the magazine, every person she interviews on the podcast, she's really done her research and she really thinks, oh, yeah, they'd be fantastic. Um, and I, I think I've learned a lot from watching you do that and try to kind of transfer um, that into kind of my own approach, for sure. <laughs> I've, got, I've got like big shoes to fill here. Um, you know what? I, I think with um, with Laura, what I think that she is really, really able to do like um, so well is articulate her personal experience in a way that is um, it's just you know, incredibly powerful. Like the articles that Trisha, you know, it's annoying because the articles that, that Laura's written have been far more read than anything I've ever written. And uh, and I and, and I've written quite a lot more than Laura, <laughs> but they're always, always like super well received. And I think that she's, uh, like there's a, 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 I don't know if there's a word, but like a, a relatableness about what she puts out there that makes people be like, oh, like, like, thank you for putting it out there. And I, and I think there's a danger with not just education, but but it happens in education where content is put out there and it's like it's coming from a level of like, oh, this is this is what you should be doing. This is, you know, the latest trends is this, that, the other. And like Laura's like, oh, just take a breath a minute, like that you are human as well. And that has so much value to bring to your work. So I, I think for me it's that openness and that relatableness that like um, I find so powerful about the work that, that Laura does. And I, and I um, want to make sure like I can try and harness that in the, the work that I do as well. I mean, that's exactly why, again, a few years ago, my wife and I were like, we're going to have different friends because I started noticing, I'm like, <laughs> you become friends with some of my old friends. And then I know that they like you more. Like that's, I can see it <laughs> happening. I see it. Like even we have a puppy and I, I know the puppy loves her more than she loves me. Like to the extent that now, you know, when we're talking to the puppy about us, like I am other mommy. <laughs> So oh, we have the same problem. <laughs> that, that's been a little like, <laughs> that's been my wellness hack, but Laura, you know, that, that point about like keeping it authentic too, I found like for, for my podcast, I kind of decided, I know all the advice says have a schedule, keep to a schedule. And I was like, I don't have to do that. Also, you know, my, my podcast is is small. And so I don't have a schedule. So that's why, you know, if, sometimes regular listeners are like, why are there three episodes this week? And there wasn't anything like two weeks ago, right? Because it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to have kind of that be the rule because I, I think, like you said, um, I think deadlines can be useful, but I find if you have a deadline where it's like, I just have to put something out to put something out, yeah. you lose kind of that, that authenticity piece. Oh, for sure. And I think it comes back to what we were saying at the start about, you know, people being so busy. Um, and, you know, if you really have connected with someone, and you think, oh, they'd be, you know, fantastic for an article, a podcast, whatever. It's about, you know, giving them the opportunity to do that, not on a time frame, not on a like, oh, if you can't do it next week, then then no. Um, you know, I've similar to you, I'll have like maybe a month where we do nothing. And then like a month where we've got podcast podcast article podcast um and it's just fitting it around other people's schedules right but it's worth I think worth the flexibility um to make sure that you you do get that authentic content and you do you know connect with people um and appreciate you know what they're able to to give you 
Yeah. And on that note, I really appreciate you both giving up your time <laughs> today. Um, we'll be sure to have the links that you refer to over there in the show notes. Um, for anybody who is listening, when might they be able to find new content? Sorry, I know we just talked about like not having a deadline, um, but when when should they be looking out um, for some sort of fresh content from, from both of you? Um, so for Phys Equity, yeah, we've got a couple of um, podcast guests lined up um, and we're recording uh, one next week, probably one the following week. And we usually have quite a short turnaround time. Um, so, yeah, we're really excited to have uh, some, some new guests coming on to I think we've got a teacher who's working in Vietnam. We've got another teacher who's working in Italy, mm-hmm. um, lots of different um, kind of experiences to, to discuss. And um, yeah, hopefully this month there'll be there'll be quite a bit. So if you check out Phys Equity, uh, we have a WordPress site with all our blogs and resources. And we also have our Twitter page. Everything will be coming through there um, very soon. Yeah, and the Wellbeing International School magazine um, issue two is going to come out in December. Um, so all of the articles are coming in at the minute. Um, uh, it's going to be awesome. Really, really cool. I'm super excited. So yeah, that'll be out at the start of December. That's right. I cannot believe it's, it is almost December. <laughs> it's almost oh, December. Yeah. Well, thank you again. Uh, so, so much, uh, listeners, it is their Saturday morning. So, uh, <laughs> again, I, I really do appreciate it. So I hope the both of you have a great rest of your weekend. Uh, thanks for sharing insight with us. Thank you so much for having us. We've, uh, yeah, we've really enjoyed the conversation and, uh, yeah, the opportunity to connect and, um, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you, Trisha. Like it's been such a cool conversation. I really enjoyed it. And like, um, like you know all the work that you're doing like we're such huge fans of so it's like a real privilege for us to get the chance to speak with you so thank you oh thank you and I'm relieved to hear like my cheesy question there at the end and just ruin it for everyone (laughs) (laughs) thanks both I was on a tv show I loved it